0: About them Irish.
1: I can't take it anymore. I need a national championship. This is the four horsemen podcast. And we
0: are back. The Fighting Irish start their playoff resume campaign again after another big marquee victory against the Virginia Cavaliers at home. This is our second time doing this because I'm an idiot and I forgot to record. So um, I'm joined by Steve. We are the Four Horsemen Podcast, and we're going to get into
1: this week. So, Steve, what do you got for us? Um, There is definitely some bright spots. Obviously, on the def- defensive side of the ball, we were incredible. Um, overall, a quality win. Overall, very satisfied. I don't think I was particularly worried at any point. Uh, but there's definitely some red flags and some alarms to attend to. Uh, we're going to get pretty analytical on this podcast. So if you're kind of a statistical nut, you know, especially uh, the way that Dylan is able to break things down, he kind of has a, like a Rain Man kind of view of how this works. Um so, yeah, there's, there's good, there's bad, there's ugly. And, and I think uh, all things considered, hey, you come out with a top 20 victory at home. You're 3-1 on the year, still within the top 10, still within the playoff picture. So I'm satisfied. I'm happy.
0: Yeah, no, I, I put out a tweet last night saying, you know, good teams win, great teams cover. And uh, the Irish covered the spread. It was 11 and a half at the time of the game. And uh, they covered 50, or they scored 15, or they won by 15 at least. Um, although the offense felt like it scored less than 15, um, this was another game kind of like Louisville, New Mexico, where at the start of it it's kind of ugly. Fan bases are losing their the fan bases, losing their mind, and then by the end of it it's kind of a blowout. Um, it's a tough win. Um, it was a tough game. I think we underestimated Virginia a little bit, but uh, our score prediction was was fairly accurate. Um, we gave it 38-13. Um, I believe you called it to be a a very close game at halftime. In fact, we were down at halftime. Um, But thankfully, we had the defense there. It was an unbelievable performance um, defensively. Um, Watching the game, I figured that the the team would make those adjustments at halftime, um, that Clark Lee and and Coach Kelly would. um, The defense is just too good. Um, Basically, what happened is the Virginia quarterback was mobile, and he was making a lot of good throws and a lot of third-down throws, too. And uh, a lot of the first downs that they were getting, they were kind of cutting us through the field is just soft coverage, zone coverage, um, short passes that we were getting you know five six, seven, eight yards um, per play. So I, I assumed that we would kind of a game, game plan for that schematically in the second half and we did um, excellently. Um, the defensive line was just unbelievable. Um, I'm sure everybody at home was just so enthused with the way our defensive edge uh, rushers announced themselves today. Um, but yeah, you know, from a, from a fan's perspective, it's a good win. It's going to be a feather in the cap of this year in terms of getting back into the playoff. And uh, yeah, I think that's kind of it. Do you have anything else on the game to say before we kind of break into the stats?
1: Um, uh, I, one thing that is kind of a letdown is that yeah you know, we we went into the half down seventeen fourteen not the end of the world you know we can make adjustments obviously we did uh it was more so that we did get we did have the ball with under two minutes left and we and we basically that's another failed two minute drill obviously the marquee one being at georgia last week uh to potentially win the game came up short there came up short against virginia um yeah th- there tends to be i uh, i guess a a feeling of panic. Anytime there's uh, there's a big moment and You know, we obviously, you know, we, we Notre Dame is a team that fights and, and gets to the point where we want to be in the big moment So how this is going to shake out going forward? It's it's like trying to square a circle and that, That's why there's there are there is definitely a lot of concern, but all things considered uh, I mean, I think we're still in a, in a really good position and we're still, you know, like I mentioned before, still, uh, still in the playoff hunt, and I think the implications for this year are pretty big going forward in, in terms of a program standard, in terms of, uh, you know, recruiting and and the whole nine. But I think, um, again, uh, just to kind of repeat on my opening comments, I'm I'm satisfied, but the, you know, satisfied doesn't mean thrilled.
0: Yeah, no, for sure, it wasn't a, a perfect game by any means. Um, it felt like we were struggling, especially going into the half down. Um, but they made the adjustments they needed to. Um, the offense was miserable, but the defense definitely, you know, saved our ass on the day. I think Virginia can do a lot of help for Notre Dame as the season goes on. We talked about this last week. Um, they could win the Coastal, which is their division in the ACC. And basically, if Virginia is a nine and three team in the ACC championship game, you know, lose to Clemson or whatever. Um, it looks good for Notre Dame. You're playing a runner-up in a conference, a uh, ranked team. Hopefully, Virginia can stay ranked. Um, the, there's no point in saying it's a... Because like, this week, they might fall out of the top 25. They probably will, but that doesn't really mean anything. It's kind of at the end of the year where they are. At the time of the game, it was a ranked win, um, and that's going to that's gonna be huge. Hopefully, it stays that way. Um, yeah, I know Virginia can do, can do a lot of help for Notre Dame. Um, hopefully, they can play Clemson tighter than 14 or 15 points Um, because that would make us look even better. Um, But overall, Virginia did uh, a really good job showing up. Their quarterback was ready to play. Uh, They ballsy as shit with the onside kick. Um, I had tweeted, I said, you can tell that what playing Notre Dame means to every program. It's everybody's Super Bowl. And you see that. I mean, the, the year we played Clemson, that was the biggest game they've ever had. It wasn't the South Carolina rivalry game, uh, the Michigan games. Michigan's two highest sellouts are against Notre Dame. Um, it, it were everybody's Super Bowl. And when you go for an onside kick up four at the start of the second half, it's ballsy. You want to win that game. And I, I got, I just got to tip my hat to Virginia for uh, for playing a really good game. Um, better than we thought, but overall, I think our prediction was fairly accurate on the game. Um, we We kind of have that theme going this year with accurate predictions. Georgia was fairly accurate. I mean, we got the the result wrong. Um but it was a close game, which we kind of thought it would be. So just digging into the stats, um, total yardage, which isn't the biggest stat in the world, but they actually outgained us by about uh, sixteen yards. Um, most of that came from the pass, and that's the difference. At the end of the day, Virginia had 334 passing yards. Notre Dame had 165. Um, and when you're losing at any point, or when it's a close game, you should be passing the ball. That's just that's what's so shocking about the statistic. It's not like Notre Dame was up 25, tw- or 21, 28, something big, and then just decided to run the ball the rest of the game. Uh, it was a tight game, and we couldn't get the th- the, the passing game going, and that's really concerning. I know we had uh, questions last week about whether it was Ian Book or whether it was uh, maybe the the play calls. I think I'm leaning more towards execution. I think the play calls are there. Um, we'll get into more of Ian Book in a, in a moment. Um, yards per pass, 7.8 for Virginia, 6.6 for Notre Dame. This is the second week in a row where Notre Dame's yards per attempt is just getting too low. You got, you got to get that up higher. Um, you're going to have more success when you're throwing more down the field. But um, something that... We're going to bring up is the rushing game. Um, Notre Dame had 157 yards on the ground. Virginia had four. And this kind of brings up two things. Um, something that we brought up last time before we record it. So we have to repeat ourselves a bit. Um, but Notre Dame's rushing game bailed them out. Um, when the offense, when the passing game wasn't working, they could run the ball and they found efficiency there. Um, but on the flip side of that, Virginia ran for four yards and still hung in with Notre Dame for most of the game. So it's a really interesting kind of almost paradoxical situation we have here. Um but for the fun of it I looked uh Georgia ran for 0.1 rushing, rushing yards per attempt, Notre Dame 4.2 which actually isn't really that great. Um we're averaging 4.5 on the air which is 60th best in college football and I know the narrative was that we had a really good game uh, game on the ground but it was uh, it was 4.2 um, I'm gonna let you jump in on a, a particular point you made last time about uh, Tony Jones.
1: Yeah, so Tony Jones did um, did outperform the team average. He had 7.3 yards, so he obviously was was playing up to, I guess, you know, senior running back expectation. Thankfully, I think uh, as for the rest of the team, obviously we're missing our top end talent, you know, namely Jafar Armstrong um and but it 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 feels good the fact that we were able to move bodies i mean there was one particular play where our, our our entire offensive line had literally pushed their front seven six seven yards downfield before there was any contact so that feels nice to know that we can turn that that on when the time is right uh at least against inferior opponents if we're playing superior opponents it'd be nice to also have that balance um you know it obviously you know, passing is the most efficient stat in the game, the, fo- the most efficient vehicle on offense in order to get into the end zone and, and make plays, make your team competitive. So only four yards for Virginia, but they were passing the ball quite well in the first half in, in the soft zone. That made them competitive. That's what put 17 points on the board for them. Now on the, other side, the flip side of the token, uh, obviously you saw Notre Dame was a little bit more balanced and I think in a way a little bit more unpredictable. Uh, I think the seven second and a half adjustments for Notre Dame were because Virginia was so predictable they just basically said we're not throwing the ball I, we're not running the ball rather we're throwing the ball that's where you know what eight team sacks and five turnovers come into play so I think there's still definitely added value to running the football and being remotely balanced but it's got to be it's got to be a 60 40 you know run to I, I'm sorry pass to run split Um Yeah, and I think in order to have probably the most efficient offense possible and for if for 60 percent of of the game, if that's going to be the most important part of the offense, I think uh, there absolutely has to be improvements made on our end because 165 yards on 17 completions. uh, That is that is just not satisfactory to to make us competitive, frankly, in in the college college playoffs.
0: Yeah, no, that's well said. Um, The passing game clearly wasn't good enough, but where the game was won was the turnover battle. Uh, Notre Dame, or Virginia, turned the ball over five times, so we took away the ball five times, and Notre Dame fumbled once on the Fink punt return, or the muff. Um, And then we were out-possessed again, not surprisingly. uh, where the game kind of seems to be a theme this year. Um, And it's something that um, you kind of brought up. There's a tweet going out there from Pete Sampson. I'll let you kind of... Dig into that one for our viewers. Yeah,
1: yeah, certainly. So we, you know, just uh, to to make ourselves informed and, and knowledgeable about all things Irish, um, you know, we're we're constantly sending each other tweets and DMs and of uh, information that we see out there, kind of floating through the Twitter uh, Twitterverse. And Pete Sampson, he's uh, notably uh, one of the the big time ND writers. He tweeted something, uh, a couple of of some statistics that were awesome, some t- statistics that are very alarming, all in one single tweet. So it's like the definition of Notre Dame football. Some things are great. Some things are, are like terrifying. <laughs> um, yeah, and and uh, one of those statistics uh, that that stands out here, especially as we're talking about possession and the possession battle is Notre Dame is ranked 123rd in the nation in regards to offensive plays run, not running plays, but total offensive plays run. So, you know, now there's some upside to that because there's plays like Avery Davis or, uh, Javon McKinley, whom had those, you know, nice catch and run touchdowns that ended a drive in 20 seconds. Okay. That's great. That's the, that's the high end of that statistic. That's a positive. But then, you know, the nuance of it is that there's plays, uh, there's drives like the, um, you know, the Irish backed up inside their own five yard line, they they get it to a third and mid range, I think third and four, third and five after, uh, chase Claypool screen pass. And then we just kind of panic and we're not able to, to get out of our own 10 yard line. So we, now we have to punt and then now we're losing the field possession battle. So, um, you know, three and outs can't be a thing. And unfortunately at this rate, we have way too many currently as it stands.
0: Yeah, no, that's absolutely it. Third down conversion um, failures to kind of sustain long drives. Um, There's a lot there that the offense needs to work on if we're going to be a playoff team. Because part of it is we're going to have to look good against some bad teams because we have a lot of shared data points with other college programs. Um, We play the SEC, we play the ACC, we play the Pac-12, we play the Big Ten. Um, I just don't. I think Big Twelve is the only Power Five team or conference we don't play this year. So basically the conference champions in those conferences who are going to try to get into the playoff are going to have a common game with Notre Dame. Like Ohio State or Wisconsin will have played Michigan. Um, Clemson will at some point play Virginia. Virginia wins out. Um, Somebody in the Pac-12 is going to play USC and Stanford. So it's really important that we, you know, beat the living shit out of these teams so we look better in that uh, common game. Um, but I think we should kind of move on now to our four horsemen. Um, it was a really big defensive performance, so I imagine we're going to go defense heavy here. Um, so, Steve, I'll let you give uh, your four horsemen.
1: Yeah, notably on the on the offensive side of the football. Obviously, it's got to be Tony Jones. Uh, I mean, you know, 131 yards, three touchdowns, and a 7.3 average, moving the ball downfield. Um, so that's that's good. Uh, he had a couple of big runs. That was just, I think. Really balanced out the game and made us less predictable, which in the end on top of obviously uh, an astonishingly, astonishingly stout defense is what put us over the top uh julian aquara Khalid kareem are the next two you know three sacks and 2.5 sacks to, respectively i mean they were absolutely just bullying the the uh the offensive tackles all day long and they had some help from the interior rush i mean kurt heinish uh you know myron tagalovola omosa those guys were were getting in the mix as well and they were definitely putting some pressure from the interior so uh i mean the, the entire defensive line unit was incredible uh, it's, but those two notably, obviously, you know, I, we both believe, and it's of the common belief that they're going to be, you know, first or second round picks. So I think that's, you can truly see the difference there. And then had to go with the lowy Gilman. Now, he wasn't flying all over the field, making a ton of tackles. I think he only had like three, two tackles, one assisted, uh, but then he had the interception. And I just think it, overall, he adds a, a nice calming effect to the secondary uh, and, and his ability to get into the box and let Kyle Hamilton kind of play as the, uh, the, the roaming center fielder, uh, basically just daring these guys to throw the ball deep. Uh, again, I think is, is an added value that you're not going to see on the stat sheet. So, um, defensive heavy, all things considered well, one hell of a day. Yeah, no, well said. Um how about that Kyle Hamilton kid, man?
0: He is going to be an absolute superstar for this team. Um yeah, he's a ball hawk. I, I
1: think I think he's gonna be a top five overall pick. I mean he is he is absolutely astonishing.
0: Yeah, he's got everything. He's physical, long, I mean he makes some good tackles, he comes downfield, he covers well, he uh he, he goes for the ball. Um and he's a freshman. He's a true freshman. So that's gonna be something to keep an eye on. Um, as this program moves on through the years, but I think we're pretty much in in mostly agreement here for Horseman. I went for my fourth Horseman. I went to uh, Kurt Heinisch. Um, I wanted to give the D line its credit it deserved because it really did win the game. Um, Kurt Kurt Heinisch had three tackles, half a sack, and two tackles for a loss. Um, just a monster game. I mean, the Virginia credit to Virginia for actually attacking our secondary, which I've said on the show numerous times is a top five, if not the best secondary group in college football and they went after us um they did they had some success there um but eventually it quieted down because mm. the defensive line ate them up like some monsters um third i went again tony jones jr listed his stats um he outperformed the the yards per attempt he was good overall three touchdowns ran hard um i think with tony jones consistency might be the thing um sometimes he can kind of disappear on you, and then sometimes he just trucks you for eight yards on second down <laughs> to uh, to make it a third and manageable. So I gave him third star of the game, or third horseman. I thought he was uh, really well, uh, played really well. Um, second, Khalid Kareem, um, three tackles, two and a half sacks, two and a half tackles were lost in a quarterback hurry. Man, were they just all over the place. That D-line, all of them. Um, but Khalid Kareem, like you said, that's a NFL prospect, probably going to go... Uh, on day two, um, although some people will say he could be the, actually the better of the two players on our team, and then f- one for me had to be Julian Aquara. It just—I'm I- going to read you guys his stat line. I've never seen anything this crazy. I think three tackles, three sacks, three tackles for a loss, two quarterback hurries, two forced fumbles, and one fumble recovery. That's—that's that's illegal.
1: That's not allowed. <laughs> That's, it like literally it, it was like watching Khalil Mack against like a high school team
0: yeah a Canadian high school team <laughs> It was like watching Chase Claypool's Canadian high school <laughs> tape <laughs> just not fair um yeah what a monster performance just everything about that defensive line uh, I mean you held the other team to four rushing yards like what more do you want that is something that's I think sorted itself out in the, Georgia, in the Georgia game. I know our first two games, people thought they were running on us too much. There was those stats out there. Look, our defensive line is plenty fine. Our linebackers are really coming into their own. I mean, Awuso uh, Kimura has been fantastic. Drew White has had another great performance. Um, I don't recall seeing Bilal too much on that field that game, um, but that rotation there, um, it's it's going to work out. And I think... Uh, our defense is going to be fine. Um, so if we can move now into, I think, our favorite segment, our new favorite segment, at least, um, Juice in My Nuts. Steve, take us away.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, obviously, there's there's a handful of great defensive plays yesterday that really put some juice in my nuts. Uh, but the one that was... Unequivocally, I think the, the really the play that, that turned everything around was Jameer Jones coming off the edge, absolutely pulverizing uh, the Virginia QB ball squirts up in the air, falls right into the hands of Myron Tagalovoa Amosa, who is to his cousin. Uh, so Tagalovoa for Heisman, except not to, if you get what I mean. <laughs> and, yeah, uh, able to run that back inside the uh, the five-yard line. And then, you know, we're able to score the go-ahead touchdown, what, two plays later? So uh, that was, once we, he, that sack fumble happened and, and then we uh, were, were able to pull ahead 21-17 at that point, I knew, I was like, nope you know, this, te- this, this Virginia team is screwed because now they're going to have to keep dropping back. And I tweeted it on early in the game. Cause I saw that, uh, you know, the Virginia QB for, for what it's worth, he was standing in the pocket, making some great throws and plays all day, but he seemed to not have as much urgency or awareness as, as necessary. And I tweeted out at I, I, this much. I know at some point in this game, Julian Aquara or Khalid Kareem is going to murder this QB. And it's basically what happened in this. Particular player was Jameer Jones with the sack force fumble. But, I mean, again, we can drool all day about our defensive line performance because it was just something else.
0: Yeah, no, mine's a defensive line performance as well, although what put the juice in my nuts was actually for gambling reasons. Um, so my play was the first sack fumble um, delivered, recovered, and forced all by Julian Acora um, here, here's why. I was trying to bet the line for Notre Dame-Virginia. Um, I wanted to bet Notre Dame to cover, but I missed the timing. And for the next about five minutes of the game, uh, I was betting online. And uh, for those of you who bet online, the odds change a lot. Like, a lot. Um, odds change, the line changes, and I couldn't for the life of me get a line that I liked um, because, of course... Virginia, uh, yeah. Virginia starts off the game; they score a touchdown. Um, the line gets low. I want to bet it, but then Notre Dame scores really quickly, so I can't get in the bet. And then Virginia starts marching down the field, and I just had a good feeling. The line, which was originally eleven and a half, moved to seven and a half when Virginia was like at the fifty, and I locked in the bet I put in, I put in my money Notre Dame to cover seven and a half. And then the very next play, Julian Okora just destroys the quarterback. We recover the fumble, take it. Um, into their territory, and I felt at that moment that we were not only going to win the game, but I was going to make some money. So the juice in my nuts moment was definitely that. It got me really hyped, um, and I really think it set the tone defensively for the game. Um, Overall with Virginia, um, we're going to see how good of a performance it is in the upcoming weeks, depending on how good Virginia really is. But what you could see with Virginia is that um, they're improving there was a graphic right with the coach who took over they were rebuilding Um, they were a four win team a few years ago they were eight and five last year Um, I think nine and three is really realistic for Virginia I think they can win that division Um, but it was a it was a scrappy game but again at the end of the day you covered it's going to look good hopefully it's a ranked win and I think you just kind of have to (laughs) move on and accept uh, that this team has some flaws but we have a lot of strengths too
1: yeah, very well said. I mean, Bronco Mendenhall is a very good coach. If I remember correctly, he was part of that BYU team that came into Notre Dame Stadium a couple of years ago, and I'm not sure if they beat us or if they just gave us a really tight game. But, I mean, Bronco Mendenhall, good coach. Um, Virginia, again, I, let's let's hope for them to come up with 10 wins this year. I'd, that'd be great uh, for, for us, obviously. Um, and... And yeah, I, I think uh, this it's time to kind of get into a conversation. And this is a late night observation that I had made. And, and this what really I, I was just thinking back on the game I was playing NCAA fourteen uh, at like one o'clock in the morning because uh, my fiance was working the overnight, so just playing Xbox by myself. <laughs> and the um, you know my offensive line in the game could not block anybody. I'm, I'm running around like a chicken with its head's cut off, just trying to clear the pocket and make a pass. And, and that's when kind of something like just kind of clicked in my mind simultaneously. And I thought about the particular drive, especially when we went three and out, um, as, as Ian, we were dropped inside our own five yard line on a great punt. And Ian Book, uh, I think it was like a run play, then the second play was a screen pass, and I referenced this before to uh, to Claypool, who shook a guy, got a couple yards, got out of bounds. So third down and five, third down and four, from inside your own 10-yard line. And Ian Book drops back, instantly panics, and then tries scampering, and the draw play just doesn't work. He's gobbled up, and then we have to punt from our own end zone. And I was like, I think... If you look back in that game, there were some really, really good throws made by Ian Book. There was some points in, in the in the game where he stayed in the pocket, and especially uh, there was a few plays where he would scramble, then go back into the pocket and reestablish it. And I was like, "Oh my god! Like this is the improvement that I wanted to see." I'm sure if you look back, it's on first and second down. On first and second down, Ian Book is a very high quality quarterback, and this I think is the probably the most damning conversation that we're going to have over the course of the year and the most damning statistics that we're going to encounter as we kind of progress through here. And Dill and I'll let you take lead in just a moment. Um, I think that this Notre Dame team in terms of talent, offensive line, skill players, defensive line linebackers, especially secondary. It's a playoff caliber team. I don't think that Ian book is the, playoff caliber quarterback that we need because the third down performance is just not cutting it. I I'm kind of just introducing everything and there's a lot of thoughts on my mind and I'm sure as you uh spell out some of the statistics here cuz you did a deep dive. I think um you know there's there's going to be a lot of good points that are, that are about to be brought up.
0: Yeah, no, it was yeah, it was it was your genius um late night because we were talking about Ian Book's performance, because we were pro Ian Book. Even after the Georgia game, we were pro Ian Book, but it seems very obvious now that he's not performing at the level he needs to. And you put out an idea there. What about, is it third down performance? So I, I looked into it, and we're going to get into the stats, but basically that's it. The, the nut of it is it's the third down performance. So... If we can kind of just set the stage a little bit, last week we compared Ian Book to the quarterback for Virginia. Um, I did a QB comparison pregame. They were very similar. Um, Book had a better adjusted QBR, but the Virginia QBR raw was better. And I said yeah. they're similar, but Book should still outperform him um, because I have faith in the opponent adjusted QBR metric, and he didn't at all. Um, it was definitely outperformed by the Virginia QB, and I think this is going to be a problem moving forward. So if you just look at the two 2018-2019 just basic stats between the two, um, they you'll see that one's better than another. So QB rating, which, again, is not the best stat, and but unfortunately we do have to use it because there's not much else out there. Um, 154 in 2018 for Ian Book, 151.9, which looks pretty close, but that should also tell you why this stat is not the best. QBR in 2018, Ian Book was a total QBR, which is adjusted for the opponent, 80.1, which was 12th best in college football. He was a playoff caliber quarterback last year. That's why we were a playoff team, because without him, if we would have been stuck with Wimbush, I'm pretty sure we don't win 12 games. This year, his QBR, 69.9, nice, but also not nice. Um, It dropped basically (laughs) 10, 10 points. He's now 42nd in college football, which is slightly above average, which isn't good enough for a playoff team. Yards per attempt very similar, 8.4 in 2018, 8.3 this year. The difference is he was landing at 68.2% of his passes last year, he's at 63.0. So, why is he not performing as well? What is going on? What's the difference? And Steve hit on it. He had an epiphany last night. It's the third down. Um, it's the third down performance, just in general. And I don't think this is on the play calls or the coordinator because it's the same as last year. It's the same people, same personnel, same playbook, I imagine with some adjustments. So here's. You know, the numbers, bear with me. I'll try to make this, of course, as as easy as possible to understand because not everybody is on the same development of statistical analysis yet. So on third down in 2018, Ian Book threw for 68.5% of his passes, which again is really good. 8.8 yards per attempt, really good, especially on third down. You want to be stretching the field more. Eight touchdowns to two interceptions, that's a good ratio, especially on third down because you're likely to pass it more. And then he had a rating, I know not the best stat, but it's all we have, of 173.5, which was better than his normal rating. So on third down, Ian Ian Book was better than he was on any other down, probably because he was passing the ball more. If you fast forward to this year, the same category, third down, Ian Book is throwing at 47.1%. That's a 21% decline. He's at 4.4 yards per attempt. Again, that's, that's literally half of what he was throwing last year. He has zero touchdowns to one interception, and his rating is 71.9, which is 102 points lower this year. That is absurd. This is not normal to have such wide disparity in statistics from one year to another. But it gets a little creepier. So I looked at not just down, but down in distance. And I looked at two distances, third and anywhere between three and seven yards, so third in short range. Ian Book this year, 42% passing. Three, no, sorry, five. Can't read my handwriting. Five yards per attempt. Again, still not good. And a passer rating of 56.3. That was, um, yeah, that was... Uh, this year last year. He was 77% passing 9.7 yards per attempt again five this year hundred and ninety ninety 199.7 passer rating. That's just the difference. That's a hundred and forty passer points difference between this year and last year And i'll let you jump in
1: steve Yeah, and and just to kind of highlight on that um, in the fact that he's not stretching the field. I mean and some of this was on Chris Fink as well, but there was a particular third and intermediate, I think third, third and six, third and seven, something along those lines, which is the exact statistics you're citing. And Ian Book uh, checks down, and not necessarily that checking down is a bad thing, um, but he 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 checks down in the slot to Chris Fink, and it, I think he had ran a five-yard route on third and six, and then the guys are, you know, defensive backs are right there to to make the hit, and then. Now it's fourth and one. We have to punt. So, and, and you know, third and, and again, I, I keep harping on this, but third and mid-range inside your own 10-yard line, you need four yards, five yards to, to move the sticks. And then, again, just now it's, if you can get out of your own 10, now you can really open up the playbook. And, you know, we can't even make a, a six-yard pass with, you know, Javon McKinley, with Michael Young, with Cole Comet, with, Chris Fink with like we have all the weapons necessary so we we know that the play calling is pretty decent and i i just think that in his mind he is so desperate to make the best play that he it's paralysis by analysis at a certain point where he where third down pressure gets to Ian book like like no other quarterback that I've seen and this was it has become so alarming because it, as you're citing these statistics I didn't even know these numbers and you're citing them to me now and I'm it's giving me more of a panic attack
0: yeah and it it uh it doesn't get better <laughs> um i the, the next one i looked at was third down and More than six yards to go. So the last one was third and mid-range. It's is third and long. Or, you know, mid-long. So third and seven, eight, nine, ten, and whatever. Last year, 61.4%. So a little bit of a decline, but you would expect that on longer downs. 8.4 yards per attempt. That's really crucial because it means he's actually throwing the ball down the field to get the first down. And a passer rating of 174.1. This year, 46.2%. Again, that's a huge decline. 4.5 yards per attempt. That's just that doesn't make sense. You're not throwing the ball far enough to get a first down. And a passer rating of 68.9. And I know I've criticized passer rating for not being the most accurate stat. But when you have 105 passer rating difference between this year and last year, we can assume... That's bad. We can assume that there is some accuracy there. It might not be the most perfect statistic, but when you are that much of a disparity between last year and this year, it's just not acceptable. So to prove Steve's hypothesis, I then looked at first and second down this year because as I cited earlier, the third down statistics for Ian Book this year were awful. Um, But Steve said he's really good on first and second down. So is that true? on first down Ian book is throwing at 63.4 percent of his passes that is good for 9.8 yards per attempt amazing he's throwing the ball down the field he's got a 5 to 1 touchdown to interception ratio and his passer rating is 180.9 that is really high that is last year caliber if not better than last year caliber
1: very efficient
0: on second down he's throwing 68.8 percent even better with a yards per attempt of 10.9, we're stretching the ball down the field on 1st and 2nd down, and his passer rating is 181.3. So on 1st and 2nd down, he is very efficient. He's very good. On 3rd down, it's, we see a drop over 100 passer rating points. We see yards per attempt cut in half when it should be increasing. Um, we see percentages uh, decrease. And it's not just, well, it's 3rd down, no, because when you look at last year's stats, his third-down stats were in par with the rest of his statistics. He was as good on third down as he was anywhere else, if not better on third down. This year, it's just it's unbelievable, and I don't know what the problem is because it's the same coaches, it's the same scheme, the talents there. We know it's not an issue with talent because people might say, "Well, he's missing Miles Boykin." Well, to be honest with you, Chase Claypool's better than Miles Boykin, and. I get it, we don't Claypool last year wasn't as good as Claypool this year. But you got McKinley, you've got Fink who's should be even better this year. Um, you have young talent in uh Keys and Lindsey, and maybe it's the running game, but not really, because on first and second down he's performing well. I just don't know what it is, and I I have to conclude that Ian Book is just like you said, he's he gets happy he's has no pressure on he's no he's got no um He's not calm on third down. He's got no composure. No ice in it. his
1: veins at all.
0: And I th- and the offensive line's doing a good enough job of holding him up. I mean, there was that one play that w- in uh, in the game yesterday where the offensive line probably gave him 15 seconds. Remember, he was running around outside the pocket, inside the pocket, outside the pocket. Yeah, he that didn't was what I was it.
1: referencing before, where he ran out and then got back into the pocket and reestablished. So I mean, like they were literally like it was an ocean of of space that he had, and it. <sighs> please continue it's just it's so frustrating well if you give if you take that scenario if you can't find an
0: open receiver with that much time I I don't know what the problem is like that I've never seen that much time and not one person get open and I'm pretty sure someone was open um I again it's I love Ian Buck he did a wonderful job for us last year and he still can we're not giving up on him it's just we have diagnosed the issue. It is third down. Third down is is his enemy, and he's just not performing at the level. So I'm glad that we're probably the first and only people to kind of at least podcast to point this out. Um, It's it's third down. That's where Ian Book needs to be better, and if we're going to be a playoff team, third down has to get better. I think that's pretty straightforward for everybody. We know the third down statistics anyway, Um, but when you factor in Ian Book's performance on third down, it's just it it's a mess. You got to fix it. Uh, I don't know if there's anything the coaches can do um schematically or play call wise. Um, but, you know, Ian it, it a lot of the season's going to rest on Ian.
1: Yeah. Uh and 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 to be abundantly transparent and clear, we are big fans of Ian Book. There is no group of guys that would like to be him more successful than anything. I want to see him be a you know a QB selected within the first three rounds of the NFL draft. I want to see him lead us to the promised land. I want to see him be incredibly successful and make this potentially his final uh, year of his college career end uh, on on a very high note and and get us into the playoffs. Right now, you know on first and second down he is a playoff caliber QB. On third down he he simply is not. And I think it's it's not a talent thing. It's not a talent issue. We've seen his talent you see the talent from one and two and then when you get to three it's um it the the drop off is massive i think it's all mental uh he he become, he goes from a gunslinger to basically an option style quarterback that doesn't really know how to pass the ball on third down and and it's it's frustrating to see that the degeneration of of talent especially you know when what are we going to do when it's when it's third and 7 against Clemson or Alabama or Georgia if if we do make the playoffs which again there's still a remarkable chance to do so i, I think there's probably a, a still about a 60% chance to make the playoffs uh, is is this just going to be a repeat of last year uh is this going to be you know <sighs> another another letdown, and I know, you know again, it, I don't want to get negative. I don't want to look down at, at by any means because we are the fighting Irish and, and we've been on that rant. We've gone down that territory. It's just this is this is highly concerning that coach Kelly needs to to find some sort of whispering technique to get it in this kid's mind that listen, you can be a gunslinger on first, second, and third down. You have to go out there and just fucking let it ru- just rip the ball, just just hum it, and then just trust that the coaches are are gonna put the gonna draw something up that's gonna put the team in a in a position for success. And I think that's basically it. I think it's all mental at this point.
0: Yeah, and it's not like it was a problem last year. This is just a clear regression. Um, so it's not talent; it's something else. And I think it needs to get sorted. Um, but if we can, if we can move on, um, do you know what really pisses me off? Sorry, I had to unmute Dylan. What pisses you off? (laughs) Notre Dame
1: got their 900th win yesterday. Do you want to know why that pisses me off? (laughs) Wait, it was their 900th win. I I swear they've been there before Dylan. Can you elaborate? (laughs) Oh, they have.
0: Um, Notre Dame, of course, was sanctioned a few years ago um, for self reporting an academic issue that had nothing to do with a cover up or a football team. It was just a player and an advisor, and it was self reported and it was sanctioned to everyone's disbelief. Notre Dame is 921, 326, and 42. So to repeat, we have 921 wins, 326 losses, and 42 draws. Which adds up to the number one all time win percentage at 7307. It's bullshit. I am annoyed that the NCAA thinks they have the authority to rob us of our history. What really bothers me, and it's a tweet that's going around right now on our account, is that Penn State, who was sanctioned for Jerry Sandusky raping children, had all their wins reinstated a few years ago. It was 100 and some. They were in, I think, the 800s or high 700s. And they lost all of them, and they were replaced. What the fuck? Explain to me, NCAA, how you can justify that, but not something so minor. And that brings up another issue. The point of academic sanctions because because universities will cut corners for athletes. Are you fucking kidding me? Do you think Notre Dame cuts corners for athletes? Notre Dame goes out of their way to add corners for athletes. They have you have to have a 3.0 just to be recruited by them. We have one of the highest academic standards of anyone. So what's the point of sanctioning a team or a school that's already so high that the point of the sanction is to improve your academic standards? It's fucking Notre Dame. Plus, it was such a minor scandal. It was an issue that was self-reported, and they took away all the wins. They kept our losses, by the way but there's other academic scandals that don't get sanctioned. So North Carolina had that whole issue of fake classes for their athletes. No sanction there. Again, Penn State covered up a fucking child molester. Those are fine. But Notre Dame self-reports when we lose our hi- and we lose a big part of our history. It's not only are we second in wins, although someone pointed out that Alabama might be second if you restored their vacated wins, but it's the it's the win percentage. Notre Dame is number one in win percentage. That's our history. That's not Michigan. That's Notre Dame. We took that bat when we beat Michigan last year. And here's here's my point. I am I'm I'm not a double standard person. I hate double standards. I would apply this for actually everybody. I don't think sanctioning wins makes any sense. If you want to punish the school, fine the school, um, give a ban to the school, but don't take away history. Those games happened. One of those games that they took away the 2012 season. I'm sorry, I went to the 2012 Notre Dame game against Michigan. I saw that game happen. You can actually see a Canadian flag when Tommy Reese scores in the touch, uh, touchdown in the end zone. That's me. I was at the game.
1: That's awesome.
0: We won that fucking game. So I don't support sanctioning anybody. And that applies for our most hated rival, USC. USC won the national championship in 2004. They won that one. Reggie Bush won a Heisman. I'm sorry, That's, they have that Heisman. Um, you vacated wins. I just don't get it. You don't, I don't see the point in new racing history. Those games happened. Notre Dame has 921 wins, number one win percentage. And I think Notre Dame fans need to make a bigger stink of this. I think we really need to just hammer the NCAA on just the double standard, the moral bankruptcy of how they do this, and put pressure to get these wins reinstated. So that's my little
1: rant. And um, is- do you have anything to say on it? Yeah, and, and trust – you're the future lawyer here, or at least you, you are in law school, so you'll definitely be able to give more insight on this. But there is a precedence in American law where if, if you willingly cooperate with the, uh, the authorities and you give them information that's going to help them establish the rule of law… If you self-report, if you get out ahead of it and said, "Hey, this thing happened," you, it's called a plea deal. You can bargain down your punishment. So, be, and the reason they do that is to give you an incentive to give them the information to work with them. So, Notre Dame, they said they found something that was wrong, and they said ahead of time, you know, NCAA, something happened, and we are going. Out of our way to let you know, and we are handling it. and and you know we want to make sure that we're as honest and forward as possible. and then they still get hit with this, whereas uh, as you describe, child molesters, go free. it it's it sets a a dangerous precedent that there is no benefit whatsoever in self-reporting and coming forth. So now it's just like, yep, well, you now it's on the NCAA to come find that information. We're not going to willingly tell anyone because regardless if we tell you or not, you're going to screw us over anyway. So now it's on you to, uh, to find that evidence, which can be very difficult and it's going to require a lot of resources. So you're taking the one tool that this prestigious program, you know, willingly offered you basically red meat and not only did you just like take the red meat, but you went and ate the trainer. <laughs> like, I, so it's it's just it's very stupid, very 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 disingenuous, very disgusting, and, and just absurd uh, and that there's not a, a single coherent thought that comes out of the uh, the main offices of the NCAA. They're they're honestly just like a terrible organization.
0: Well, yeah, what's the lesson here other than don't tell the truth? Like, you're better off hiding it. Like, there's there's the message that I'm receiving here is just it's nonsense it doesn't make any sense um for all the reasons you said and I even said even the biggest Notre Dame haters who actually know what happened I don't even think they could justify it I mean it was on first take with uh, Max Kellerman and uh, Stephen A. Smith at one point both of them aren't Notre Dame fans and they're both like this is absurd like how could you do that to a program like Notre Dame who self-reported it while other programs get off scot-free uh and that's the point I wanted to make because I'm a big historian for college football. Um, I, I love it. I'm, I romanticize it, especially Notre Dame's, and it bothers me. So if we can, uh, if we can move on here uh, before I, I break down in, uh, in tears, <laughs> um, let's look at the opponents. Um, that's something we haven't done in a while, but now that we're in that playoff hunt where we need to see what the opponents are up to so we can build a resume, um, I thought I would just give us a rundown here and you can kind of give us your thoughts um, afterwards. So
1: a yes, uh, big game.
0: Navy lost to Memphis. Uh, it was a close game going in, I think, to the fourth, and they kind of choked it away. Memphis is a good team, um, so Navy's 2-1 on the year. Um, we don't get a strength of schedule bump from Navy usually, so I think any kind of winning Navy team coming into South Bend would, would be fine. Um, Duke played Virginia Tech. Those are two teams that we do play, so it didn't really matter who won, um, but Duke did, 45-10. to 10. Um, which kind of brings up to your point and P wagons point earlier in the season, where that's kind of the trap game to be worried about is Duke. Um, I actually said Virginia Tech, so maybe uh, I think maybe you guys are right there. Um, so Duke is now three and one, Virginia Tech is two and two. Um, again, these are data points that's going to matter because I'm sure Clemson plays one, if not two, of them. So you kind of want to beat these teams better than Clemson does because for and those of you Alabama, who watched
1: Clemson, Alabama opened with Duke.
0: Duke, yeah, and they destroyed Duke, um, so that probably isn't, that's kind of maybe out of the picture now, but that that's Duke's one loss, so I think there's a good chance Duke could be rated, uh, could be ranked in the top 25 this week, um, and if they keep winning, they definitely will be, because they were decent last year as well, um, so yes, uh, moving on to uh, fucking Michigan, I hate them. Um, they destroyed Rutgers 52-0 like they should. Uh, Michigan moves to 3-1 and on the year. They are 20th right now in the AP. Um, I'm sure they'll stay ranked. I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, Wake Forest and Boston College. It's funny because we usually play both of these teams, if not one of them. And it just so happens the team we do play this year lost. So Wake Forest beat Boston College 27-24. Um, Wake Forest is now 4-0. and um, And Boston College is 3-2. and So if Boston College could stay ranked i think or not ranked sorry but could stay a a winning team come that notre dame game i think that would be kind of a a a win for us as long as these teams stay winning teams um then usc just totally fucked us lost to washington 28 14 although that's a game they probably shouldn't have won anyway um it's just it would have helped because now they have a bye and then they play notre dame so instead of looking good coming into Notre Dame because that BYU loss, which we all liked at the time, but now fucking hurts, hurts us, um, they're now 3-2. and two. They're third in the Pac-12 South. Um, the good thing is, though, is that because of the Pac-12, as long as they win in the Pac-12 and they win in their division, they could go to the Pac-12 championship game even as an 8-4 and four team or a 9-3 and three team, so it sucks that USC couldn't you know beat washington for us to make them look better um but usc is not useless to us yet they still have some value that they could provide um but it isn't uh a result we really want it stanford i don't know what's going on in stanford um they beat oregon state 31 28 oregon state is like the worst team in college football (laughs) or at least in power five college football Yeah, yeah so stanford moves to three and one um this might be the First year, Kelly wins in Palo Alto. Surprisingly, that's the place he's never won, um, so I'm assuming we'll win that one. Um, as for the other teams uh, that we've played, New Mexico lost to Liberty, 17-10. New Mexico was not a good team. Uh, they moved to 2-2 two and two on the year. Louisville had a bye. They're 2-2, two and, two and they're going to play Boston College, so a game that doesn't really matter too much because we play both of them. And then lastly... Uh, Bowling Green—they had a bye week as well. Uh, a lot of teams have bye weeks this against Notre Dame this year. Bowling Green is one and three. Um, do you have any kind of thoughts as I run down our opponents' uh, scoreboard for the
1: for the week? Um, you you pretty much spell it all out, especially going into a little bit more depth in in regards to the Pac-12 and those conditions and what USC is up against, and and also you know maybe maybe Stanford can turn it around and get up to uh, seven, eight wins by the time we play them, hopefully. But uh, they, they are kind of looking all out of sorts. Uh, I'd like to just hone in on Michigan. I mean, great win by them. Uh, a game that they should have won exactly as you said. And uh, they put the hammer down. And and that's a good thing. I know it's sickening for us to, to be cheering for that, but we need for them to basically blow out every single person until, they, until the big game. And we just need, for the love of God, Please just be useful for once and beat that Ohio State football team. <laughs> you fuck you scumbag pieces of <laughs> Michigan shit. Just win a big game for once. I think, you know, uh, hell of a defense up in uh in Wisconsin, but I don't think Wisconsin has the, the caliber of, of players to, to put play, you know be in, in the playoff conversation. So if if Michigan can just beat ohio state ohio state will take care of uh you know uh, of wisconsin at some point so it's and good for them for winning but for the love of god just keep it up
0: yeah and it's unfortunate michigan plays penn state the week that they play us so they could like usc lose and look pretty bad coming into the notre dame game hopefully they win that game um, because Michigan having beaten Penn State with only one loss against Notre Dame would be pretty big on the schedule. Um, Also, I want to point out that Clemson almost lost to North Carolina this week. Um, it was 2019. North Carolina scored with a few minutes left, went for two, and, and failed. The reason I bring that up is because if Clemson loses a game, I don't know how they can be justified to be Not put into chance. the playoff. They have I think a terrible they, schedule. They have a terrible schedule. I mean, teams might do it. Like, the committee might do it anyway because you know, they're Clemson. They're amazing. But on resume they have nothing and that's why the games against duke virginia tech boston college uh and virginia are going to be so important because if they do lose a game and it comes down to clemson or notre dame those common opponents will be huge so we'll keep you guys updated on what our opponents do throughout the uh the weeks and throughout the year just because i know nobody wants to see how michigan did so i'll just i'll do that burden for you guys um yeah i fucking hate michigan um so I'd like to ask you a question, Steve. Have you seen the uh, commercials or the advertisements for the new Joker movie?
1: Uh, yes, that's with... Uh, who's? Uh, oh my God, why can't I think of the, the actor? Jo- Joaquin Phoenix, I think? Yep, yes. I have seen them.
0: Um, I have a question. Is that movie based on Brian Van Gorder?
1: <laughs> Arguably so, because he is an absolute joke.
0: Well, he's not only a joke, he's a psychopath, and I loved it when he was at Notre Dame, despite how awful he was. Um, But he seemed crazy, and that's kind of the point I was getting to, is he seems like a madman who just laughs to himself in the subway. Um, uh, (laughs) And that should lead us into our Bowling Green preview to kind of finish off the podcast, because we're up against the Brian Van Gorders. Um, Is he the head coach there or the D coordinator?
1: I don't think that anyone would be giving him a head coach position. My assumption, my assumption would be that it's going to be D coordinator. Okay, well that that makes me feel better. Um,
0: so I'll give you guys the quick rundown of Bowling Green. Um, they went three and nine in twenty eighteen, two and six in the MAC. Uh, this year they're one and three. Um, and their quarterback, uh, I thought I should start doing quarterback previews like I did last week. His name is Darius Wade. He has the worst QBR in college football. So I hope you guys are feeling a little better now.
1: (laughs) That poor, poor soul.
0: He's going to get murdered in South Bend. Um, So I'll just preview the tail of the tape statistically here. I did a little more than I usually do um, because I had some time on this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, So I have uh, uh, Bowling Green with 89th in college football in yards per attempt uh, for rushing. So that's 3.9 yards per rush. Notre Dame is 60th with 4.5. In terms of passing yards per attempt, uh, Bowling Green is 125th in college football uh, with 5.6. Notre Dame is 27th in college football with 8.7. Again, Ian Book on first and second downs, those yards per attempt are fine. It's just third down. Um, In terms of passing yards given up per game, uh, Bowling Green has given up uh, 227, which is 74th in college football. Notre Dame has given up 201, which is 40th. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the Virginia game last week because otherwise our, our yards per given up passing-wise was was very solid. Um, in terms of rushing yards given up, Bowling Green's given up 220, which is 117th in college football. Notre Dame, uh, 154 per game, which is 71st. That may seem bad, but remember we were like 120th two weeks ago uh, going into the Georgia game. So we've actually jumped like 50 spots in two weeks because we gave up four yards last week. Um points per game defensively. uh, uh, Bowling Green's given up 38 points per game, which is 120th in college football. That is very bad. Um, Notre Dame has given up 18.5, which is 27th. Again, very solid, very respectable number, especially when you play Georgia. Um, In terms of points scored per game, Bowling Green's at 18.3. That's 120th in college football again. Notre Dame, 38. Um, 21st in college football so again we're uh, that's respectable we're beating some bad teams when we need to um, we put up 35 on virginia so although that that's a little misleading it wasn't offensively um, but overall i think Notre Dame's looking pretty sharp there um, and then going into our efficiency stats which i usually give you guys um, offensive efficiency bowling greens 128th in college football which is the third worst Notre Dame is 34th Defensive efficiency, uh, they are, Bowling Green is 122nd, Notre Dame is 6th, uh, and overall efficiency, according to ESPN, Bowling Green's 128th versus Notre Dame's 12th. In terms of FPI, which we've talked about again in uh, ESPN stat, um, I encourage you to look it up or go back to previous pods, um, Bowling Green's 127th, Notre Dame's 9th, and then S&P Plus, our advanced metric friend, Bowling Green's 128th, again, third worst in college football. And Notre Dame is 22nd. They actually fell 10 spots because of how poor the offense was. Um, last week, they were 12th. But the point here really is that Notre Dame is consistently high in terms of efficiency. They're 9th you know, uh, FPI, 12th overall in the SPN, and 22nd in S&P. In, uh, S&P. And Bowling Green is awful. They're consistently in the low 120s, which is the bottom of college football. So statistically, um, if you could keep with me there, um, Notre Dame good, Bowling Green bad.
1: I'm going to give you a very in-depth preview of my exact thoughts of how this Notre Dame versus Bowling Green game is going to go. And Dylan, I'd like you for you to just close your eyes for a minute. If you're the listener, one of, okay. if you're the fourth, fourth horseman, one of our listeners, just close your eyes for a minute. The sun is out. It's beating down on your shoulders. The smell of the... South Carolina, low country, smells like brackish water along with some ragweed. What's that over there? Is that an alligator? Hi, Mr. Alligator. He's just hanging out. He's not being too aggressive. There's the nice firm fairway underneath your feet. You dig in your your golf spikes. You're about 172 yards away. You got a wind from left to right. So you know you got to put a little bit of a baby draw on this one, so you pull your seven iron. You pay attention to that ball make sure you got your eye on it body's in alignment take one deep breath and just take a nice smooth swing wow the ball sails right into the air cutting across that low country sky you see the calabogie sound in the background and the ball just drops right in the center of the green and you're putting for birdie and that's my plans for this week I'm going to be at the Sea Pines Resort down in Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, playing some golf, playing six rounds of golf in four days. And that includes two rounds of golf on Saturday. So I'll be streaming the the game on my phone because I don't miss a game. Everyone knows that. But that's my exact thoughts on how this this game is going to go.
0: <laughs> I did not expect that at all. I was expecting some kind of like... I don't know, eagle to come in and fuck up your day, which was symbolic to Brian Van Gorder's Well, if defense. we were
1: going more specific to my actual golf game, it wouldn't have landed. I would actually sculled it, and it would have gone about uh, 125 yards, but also 30 yards left. Went out of bounds, would have had to drop. That's a penalty stroke. Then I miss the green. Then I have to chip on, then two putt. Then we get a seven on a par four, keep it moving. However, we're going with the birdie in this scenario.
0: Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, I think you kind of echo a point, though, that this is not a game to worry about. This is not a game we should really care about. I listed off a lot of statistics, and I realized I did a lot of work for no reason. Because I mean, Bowling Green is bad, and Notre Dame is good. Um, if I'm going to give you a score, like this team is worse than New Mexico. Like you guys have to keep that in mind. Like in most of these statistics, they are worse than New Mexico. So I'm going to say that Notre Dame is going to win 69 to six. Um nice. that's a 63 point victory. I mean, you got to beat them better than you beat New Mexico. Um I don't know what the spread is, but surely it's not going to be 63. So bet bet the cover there. Um Bowling Green is bad by almost every metric. Notre Dame is not perfect, but I mean a lot a lot better. Um this game's at home. Uh Brian Van Gorder is going to get heckled a lot because again, his defense uh, his time as defensive coordinator was really unfortunate. Notre Dame kind of cost us, I think, a few years of competitiveness. Um, although I don't hate him, I thought he was kind of uh, entertaining at least. And his son Montgomery was uh, was great um, at Notre Dame as a the uh, kick holder. But yeah, overall, Steve's going to be chilling on a golf course. You guys are all going to have a good time. Please don't freak out this week if we go, if we don't score on the first drive, or if uh, we give up a few first downs. Um, we're going to take care of them very easily. This should be an absolute blowout. And then we will head into Southern Cal Week. Like Steve, I'm actually going to be gone too. Um, I'm returning to my alma mater, the University of Ottawa. We're playing our big rivalry game um, next week. It's called the Panda Game. It's the biggest game in Canadian university football. Uh, I'm going to be attending that um, in the morning. And then I should try to catch the game somewhere, um, maybe at a bar, stream it on campus somewhere afterwards. But like I said, not a game to worry about. Um, I hope everybody has a really good weekend. Um, because the next one's the big one. That's when we play the Southern Cal Trojans. And, uh, that's when the season really, really gets hot. So, uh, that's, I think that's it for me, Steve. you have any last thoughts?
1: That's pretty much it. Obviously, you know, it's going to be a blowout now 63, nothing. That's my assumption. Um, yeah, I mean, the only closing thought that I have is uh, on a serious note and a, and a little bit of a sad one. Um, Sean Crawford, kind of a, a an ugly arm injury. I don't know if it was a hyperextension or some sort of uh, you know dislocation or possibly even a break. You know, he's he's gone through two ACLs and an Achilles. He's a sixth year senior because of his injuries because one was a medical redshirt. So, um, you know, incredibly talented. He made it back onto the field this year after battling through and insane amount of adversity from an injury standpoint and to see him go down in that game was kind of a heartbreak and uh hopefully this is something that can be healed in two three weeks uh, hopefully he's back for the usc game and in an ideal world maybe it's just a stinger Yeah, you know, but he, he he was wrapped up and and put in a sling so uh I, I know i speak for uh myself for patty and uh and and for for dylan when obviously all of us want uh, as quick and as uh well as a recovery as can possibly happen for Sean Crawford because he is just a, a great, great individual and, and a senior leader on this team. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty much it. We, uh, we know where, where we're at in terms of, uh, you know, being three and one, looking forward still playoff hopes. We, there's some improvements to be made. We covered in books, uh, n- downfalls or uh, kryptonite and and hopefully that's something that can improve and and now we have a nice easy opponent to uh, to really hone in and focus on getting his confidence up and and that's pretty much it
0: yep exactly that let's fix out the uh the mistakes in Ian Book's game let's get Phil Jerkovic in let's even get Clark in because he can get four games and keep his red shirt um it's going to be that kind of game um yeah follow us on Twitter for Horseman Pod or Horseman Pod. Um we go under the name for Horseman Podcast. Um Instagram account coming soon. Um yeah I keep forgetting to make that but it's coming soon I promise. Everything's good. I want to give a shout out to our new listeners. Last week was one of if not our best week ever as a podcast. We're growing. Uh we thank you. We appreciate it. Um give us feedback. We always take fan questions. We we appreciate all the interaction because we do this for you guys um to interact with you guys. Um, Our Twitter account is growing excellently. Um, So, yeah, follow us on Twitter. If you're not on Twitter, um, that's all right. Um, You can find another way to contact us. Um, We appreciate you listening to us, um, and we're looking forward to growing with you as this season goes along. So, again, thank you. Best of luck to all of you and to Sean Crawford and his recovery. Go Irish.
1: Go Irish.